We come now to the time of fellowship with the Lord where we will commune with him through his word and through the sacrament of the Lord's table. And he leads us to this time through the book of John chapter 6. It says, Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. I encourage you to give your attention now to the word of God and to the table. Brother. I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 20. By way of note, next week, I, uh, we're not going to go to Matthew or to the Gospels yet. Um, I've got more work to do on that. But next week, we're going to start the Psalm of Ascents. So if you want to start studying on your own, Psalm 120, um, next week will be, well, I'll do a, a, brief, a brief introduction. But Psalm 120 to 134 will be our section uh, what we'll be looking at in the, in the coming weeks. But today, Numbers chapter 20 will be the text that we look at. I've titled this, Satisfied with God, because um, that's what this is about. Um, in your bulletin is uh, a sheet. I encourage you to, to take that out, follow along. There's a map in it. might be helpful for you and I as we study this text uh, together. Numbers chapter 20. This is the Word of God, brothers and sisters, and in the context of Old Testament, New Testament, um, synagogue as well. When God's word was read at the time for preaching, God's people stood. That's why we read Jesus standing at the reading of God's word. Then he sat down and preached. Um, but uh, we don't sit down t- typically when we preach. But anyways, he stood. So let's, let me invite you to stand together with me out of reverence and respect over the reading of God's word. Numbers 22 through 13 will be the text that we look at today. Hear now the word of our king. And there was no water for the congregation. They assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. The people thus contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our beasts uh, to die here? And why have you made... um, Uh, us come up uh, from Egypt to bring us into this wretched place. It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or or, uh, pomegranates, nor is there water uh, to drink. Then Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to uh, them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod You and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. The water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Those were the waters of Meribah, 
because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord, and he proved himself holy among them. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time you've given us now to be here, fellowshipping with you at this part of the service. Lord, where where you condescend and illumine and enlighten and convict and comfort and humble and raise up. Lord, we pray you do that work of grace this morning through the foolishness of preaching. That, Lord, this would be a time where we genuinely fellowship with you. Lord, we entrust this time to you now towards that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In Proverbs chapter 27, we read these words. Sheol and and Abaddon are never satisfied, nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied. Brothers and sisters, in our fallenness, in our flesh, we are never satisfied. No matter what we're doing, no matter what we want, no matter what we get, it's never enough. And thus, Ecclesiastes 1, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear satisfied with hearing. Ecclesiastes 4.8, the wealthy man, his eyes were not satisfied with riches. Now you would think that coming to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, entering into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, wherein God supplies us with everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, 2 Peter, you'd think with all of that, of all people, we'd be satisfied with God. But amazingly, brothers and sisters, we're not. Listen to Ezekiel 16, speaking of God's people. Moreover, you played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied with me, in essence. You, you sinned because I wasn't enough uh, for, uh, for you. You even played the harlot with them, and still you were not satisfied. You multiplied your, your harlotry with the land of merchants, Chaldea, and yet even with this, you were not satisfied. Incredible. Brothers and sisters, God's people have God, right? We have God, and even that, even then, we're not satisfied. Well, as that's true, and as God's plan for us is to be satisfied with him, What do you suppose God's sanctifying um, objective is? What do you think his objective it is when it comes to sanctification? Our growth in grace, our maturation as God's people. Well, you know the answer because I've read it before in Hosea 2. And it's Hosea 2, 5. Listen to it. Referencing Gomer, who was the poster child of God's people at this time. Okay? This is what God says about Gomer. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, who wool, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, this is God's response. Behold, I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers, but she will not overtake them. She will seek them, but she will not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my first husband, for it was better for me than now. You know what God's sanctifying work is in our lives? It revolves around us being satisfied with him. And so what does God do by grace in his kindness and mercy? He doesn't allow us to have the lustful desires of our hearts. He keeps them from us by hedging our way with thorns. And and brothers and sisters, you can think of sickness, disease, illness, natural uh, disasters. All of that is but, but an expression of God's loving grace in the lives of his people to keep us from loving this world. 
He wants to cultivate in us a heart that rejoices in his character. That gazes upon God in the pages of scripture to see who he is. His goodness, his kindness, his, his, his holiness, his sovereignty. And delight ourselves in the Lord. Psalm 34, right? That's what he wants. He wants to bring us to a place where the sons of Korah found themselves. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for thee, my God. Or the sons of Asaph, or I'm sorry, Amasaph, who cried, Whom have I in heaven but thee and besides thee? I desire nothing on earth. That's where God's bringing us. Do you realize in glory, <laughs> we will do all these incredibly great things, but we won't even know it. We will do it because we will be enthralled with God. We'll be thrilled and in love. We'll be overjoyed by the gaze of who God is. Incredible. God's bringing us to the place where he brought Paul when Paul said, more than that, I count all things to be lost. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then in verse 10, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. It doesn't matter whether it's glory or whether it's difficulty. I just want to know my God. I want to be satisfied with my God, enjoying him. That's where God would have us be. That is what Christianity, if you were to bite into Christianity, what would it taste like? It tastes like being satisfied, enjoying God. And that's why a passage like Numbers 20 is so important. Because this passage is a description of Moses, a snapshot in his life when he was not satisfied with God. Incredible. And by looking at why and what God did about it, helps us understand a little bit about our lack of satisfaction and how we, by God's grace, by his spirit, can be satisfied with God. So let's look at this passage. But to do that, let me give you some of the context so we are all on the same page. We're going to go back all the way back to Exodus. Exodus 15. You don't have to turn there. Just, just follow along. You have a map I'm going to use. So this story, Numbers 20, begins, believe it or not, in Exodus 15. Exodus 15 is where God's people cross the Red Sea. Moses sings the Song of Moses. And then after that, God brings his people. Moses leads God's people down to Marah. And in Marah, you may recall, God's people are thirsty. And there was water, but it was bitter. So they threw a, a tree. In essence, they threw a staff in that, in that pool. And that pool was made, was made well and so good. And so they drank and were filled. From there, they went down to the wilderness of Zin. And the wilderness of Sin, they were hungry. And that's where they grumbled. So both, all, all of this is grumbling. So this is all in the context of, of, of grumbling. So Marah, they grumbled. In the wilderness of Sin, they, they grumble again. And because there's no food, and so God gives them manna, and then they get sick of manna, so then they grumble again. So God gives them doves, and that's that, or quail, and that's the wilderness of sin. Then from there, they, they go down to Rephidim. And in Rephidim, once again, there's no water. This is a desert. There's no water. They're out of water. So this time, God has Moses take his staff and strike a rock, and then water comes out of that rock. And God's people were, 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 were their thirst was assuaged. It was addressed. From there, they then entered into battle with the Amalekites. This is the time when, when Moses is on top of the mountain. And uh, every time he puts his hands down, the Amalekites are winning. Every time he raises his hands, God's people are winning. So that's exactly what's going on right there in that little X on your map. Well, from there, they finally arrive to Mount Sinai. And the rest of Exodus um, uh, takes place. Here, God's people 
Uh, get the Ten uh, Commandments, Exodus 20, Renewing of the Covenant, 24, the Golden Calf, 32, and the construction of the Tabernacle, 33 through 40. And that brings us to the end of the Book of Numbers, which is where we are. And Numbers 1 through 21 details God's people um, at Sinai, but then leaving Sinai to go up to Kadesh Barnea and then wander around. Because you know they go up to Kadesh Barnea, then they eventually go to the southern part of the, of the promised land, send them 12 spies, 10 spies come back and say God's not big enough. And so God's people have to wander around as a disciplinary act. Mark that, please. As a disciplinary act, God's people are left to wander around for 40 years. Well, Numbers 1 through 21 details that 40-year wandering. And in that time, Numbers 1 through 4, the numbering of the Israelites. Chapter 11, the incident of the quails and the 70 elders, the rebellion of Miriam and Aaron. Uh, um, Aaron, chapter 12, the 12 spies, Numbers 13 through 14. Korah's rebellion, Numbers 16 through 17, significant events. And then chapter 20, verse 1, which I did not read, the death of Miriam, Moses' sister. Now, in your Bibles, if you ever write in your Bibles, draw a line between chapter, uh, chapter 19 and chapter 20 and write 40 years. Because there's 40 years difference in time between chapter 19 and chapter 20. So now we advance the redemptive story 40 years in that little gap between chapter 19 and chapter 20. Miriam now dies. Now we're 40 years later, which means if you know your biblical history, this is the time when God now is going to bring his people up to the east side of the Jordan River and bring them across and they're going to take the promised land. So this is the ending of their wilderness wandering, ending of this 40-year disciplinary um, era where God was disciplining his people for their lack of belief. Right? When they sent the 12 spies. Okay, that's our passage. And uh, notice some of the outline of our passage you've got there. Let me pick up. This is still a survey. Verse 20, the need. And there was no water for the country, of, uh, for the congregation. They arrive at Kadesh, uh, Barnea, and there's no water for the congregation. And they, the nation, as they had done numerous times before, hundreds of times before, assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a perennial theme of this 40 years. If you go back, if you want to, in Exodus 17, where the, uh, Moses strikes the rock, the, the context of that is, is God's people are so angry at Moses. They're blaming him. They're ready to stone him. Moses goes to God and says, God, they're going to stone me. They're going to kill me. Okay, that was 40 years ago. Well, for the last 40 years, God's people just fomented this over and over. We're now 40 years in. God, uh, Moses brings them to Kadesh uh, Barnea, which is typically, usually an oasis, a well-watered place. No water. You just, you know, imagine as they're wandering and, 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 and God's people are thirsty and, and Moses is like, just wait, just wait. Kadesh Barnea is just over that horizon. When we get there, it's, 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 it's a plush land. There'll be plenty of water. Well, they, they get to there, and there's no water. So they get so angry at Moses. And they're just um, with, with just anger. In fact, so much anger. Um, would you notice with me the rebellion? Verse 3. The people thus contended with Moses. Strong word. And spoke, saying, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. When was that? Korah's rebellion. <laughs> you see what they're saying? It's like, I wish we were part of the rebellion. If only we'd been part of it, maybe we would have won. But if we hadn't, at least we'd be dead. We wouldn't be, be following this lame leader. What a loser. 
It's an incredible statement that they make here. When our brothers perish before the Lord, why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our beasts to die here? And why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us into this wretched place? It is not a place of grain, figs, vines, pomegranates, nor is there water to drink. So in essence, these people are really upset. Now you think about it, a little bit of mercy here. They've been going around for 40 years. They're ready to go into the promised land, which means the generation where the spies came back and said God's not big enough, the 10, that generation has all died, which means their moms, dads, older brothers and sisters, uncles, aunts are all dead. They've watched them die. Okay, week by week, month by month, whatever. They've watched them die. So we can be a little bit merciful to these people. And then, of course, Kadesh Barnea is supposed to have all this water. There's no water. They all think they're going to die. But the amazing thing here is they're so godless. Even though this is the next generation, they're not circumcised, they'll be circumcised soon. Even though this is the next generation, they're still godless. It's you, Moses. You're the loser. You're the one who brought us out of Egypt. You're the one who promised us figs, pomegranate, water, all this wonderful stuff. In fact, you did it to make us follow you. You manipulated our parents. You've always done it, and you've done it for 40 years. And we're sick of it. We're sick of you. We're sick of all of it. 40 years. Well... Moses doesn't take it very well. That brings us to the supplication, verse 6. We don't know it. He's not taking it very well yet. Verse 6 through 9, the supplication. Then Moses and Aaron came to the presence of the assembly, to the doorway of the tent of meeting, and fell on their faces. Good. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Think about that, brothers and sisters. The word glory, when you think of glory, you're going to think of brightness and shiny. That is not what that word means. What's the word glory mean? Heavy. Okay? The heaviness of God. Of God's, of God's greatness, the substance of who God is, manifested itself in a subtle way. Okay, the full manifestation would have killed him, right? We know that from Exodus. You can't, no man can see God and live. Moses said, show me your glory. What was he saying? Show me more of your, of your character. Let me see more of you. And so they go into this assembly and, and God's glory is there. And was it bright, shiny? No doubt was it. So great so that it made his face shine. Remember that? Okay, so yes, but it's more than just that. It's his character being more and more manifested before Moses and Aaron, and they fall down. Incredible. That's important because of what he does next. So they fall down. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, assemble the congregation, speak to the rock in their eyes, that it may yield water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod before the Lord just as he had uh, commanded him. Brothers and sisters, God's response here is amazing. You know, God's been been putting up with with his rebellious people for 40 years. Every time he turns around, God's people are grumbling about God. Right? If you grumble against Moses, you grumble against God. Right? God's not good enough. God's a fool. God's an idiot. Why did he do this? Why did you do this, Moses? All that's directed at God. But you know what God does? You could, this, is a, this is a book we could write. In fact, there's big books written on like Gentle and Lonely, right? God's incredible character. How God is so gracious and kind and long-suffering with his people, with you and me. Our sin does not um, make us Um, uh, no longer loved by God. Our sin does not make us aliens, enemies of God. No, because of Christ, even though we sin, God still loves us. He still cares for us. And you see that here, incredible. So he tells Moses, give him water. Take the rod. 
Go out there, speak to the rock, give him water. The miracle, 20, 10, 11. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And Moses, he, Moses, said to them, Listen now, you rebels. Strong word in the Hebrew. Okay, this isn't, listen now, you, you characters, you, you bad guys, you know, sort of that loving description that you sometimes call people names out of, you know, love. Hey, jerk, you know, what do you call me a jerk for, you know, right? That's not this. Moses is losing it. Okay, listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock Then Moses lifted up his hand, struck the rock twice with his rod, and the water came forth abundantly, and the congregation of the beasts drank. As usual, God provided for his people. But what's not usual, what is a shock to us, the man who for the last 40 years has been a faithful mediator for God's people. In fact, even when God said, get out of the way, Moses, I'm going to wipe these people off the face of the earth because they're grumbling. Moses said, no, Lord, don't do it. Give them grace. Forgive them. Okay, what happened to that man? Where is that guy? He's gone. In this passage, that man is gone. This man, now why? What, what is it? Some of the factors are this. His sister just died, verse 1. Maybe he's raw emotionally. It's been 40 years, and God's people haven't learned. They continue to just blame him and ream him and attack him. Again, Exodus 17. Let me just read you 17, 2 through 4. Listen to what we read. 40 years before it began this way. Therefore, the, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the, but the people thirsted for water and they or lusted for water. And they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with these people a little more? And they will stone me. That was 40 years ago. And you know, it only got worse. For 40 years, Moses was able to be a faithful mediator. He understood, just as Samuel didn't, that they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me, Samuel. Moses understood they're not rejecting him. They're rejecting God. They're not attacking him. They're attacking God. Now, of course, he's worried about his health, but he understood that for 40 years. He understood that this was a spiritual problem. These people are not satisfied with God, but Moses for the last 40 years has been. God's enough for him. He doesn't need the praises of man. He doesn't need their compliments until now. It's just crazy. You've got him saying, shall we bring forth water? We're going to reference that in one moment. What is going on, Moses? You mean, shall God bring forth water? No, it's now become personal. Moses has lost it. Forty years, God was sufficient for him. Knowing that God loved him, that's all that he needed. Knowing that God had called him. Knowing that God was using him, working in and through and by him. That's all that he needed. But at this point in his life, 40 years later, he's 120 years old. He's walked with God now for 80 years. All of a sudden now, God is not sufficient. And that brings us then to the punishment. Notice with me, 12 through 13. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. 
those were the waters of Meribah. Translated means contention or grumbling. Because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord and he proved himself holy amongst them. These last few verses is the shocker. Who really are the bad people here for 40 years? (laughs) It's the people of God. But God doesn't discipline them. You got Moses who in Exodus chapter 4, this is what God tells him. And you shall take in your hand the staff with which you shall perform the signs. Many believe the reason why God disciplined Moses, God said, speak to the rock, and he tapped it twice. That's pretty insignificant. And yet Moses and Aaron are disciplined? You got a whole congregation who want to kill Moses, who cursed God daily. I mean, good night. And God doesn't discipline them, but he does. Again, where are they? In the wilderness. They're in the midst of discipline. They're right now being disciplined. Okay, so the, the delta here, the, the change is not the people. They've been doing this for 40 years, which is why they're in the wilderness. The change is Moses. And that's why Moses and Aaron are disciplined. Now, if you think that's a bad thing, understand that's a great thing. We want to be disciplined by God. Right? Hebrews 12. What child is not disciplined? If you're not loved, you're not disciplined. You want to be disciplined. You want God to mold and shape you and make you the man or woman he wants you to be. You want him to wean you from your love affair of this world. You want him to make us people who love him more than life. That's what we want. So this isn't bad news. This is good news. God is turning his direction to Moses because right now, the rest of the people, what they've been doing for 40 years, Moses and Aaron, especially Moses, there's a change there. There's a massive spiritual regress in his life. So God turns his attention to Moses. So now notice with me, verse 10, Moses sinned. Point B, we're on the back side of your sheet. Point B. Let's look at Moses' sin. So, so what is it? What's going on in Moses that, 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 that he's doing this? Okay? And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, listen now, you rebels, shall we, underline that word, make it bold, we Bring forth water for you out of this rock. While the precise nature of his rebellion is not known. We don't know it. Okay? It's, it's conjecture that he, he tapped the rock. That's why. Yeah, but in Exodus 17, he tapped the rock. God told him to tap the rock. It might go without saying that when he said, speak to the rock, that meant tap the other uh, rock. Right? I mean, so what is it that led God to, dis, that, to let him to, to discipline? What is it that, that Moses is doing wrong here? Was it, was it that, that he tapped the other uh, rock? Again, up to this point, we don't know. However, this we do know. Up to this point, for 40 years, he's been a faithful mediator. He's been able to deflect all the attacks of God's people because he knew ultimately they were not attacking him, they were attacking God, and he knew that, guess what, it was well with his soul. Though peace like a river attendeth his way, sorrows like sea billows roll from God's people, whatever the lot, God had taught Moses to say, it's well with my soul, and he did for 40 years. He'd been a faithful mediator. But all of a sudden now, three things stick out. Number one, He took it personally. Would you notice verse 4 and 5? The personal attack. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into the wilderness? Why then have you made us come up from Egypt? Verse 5. They are just zinging Moses. You, you loser. We're done. You are a loser. We're sick of following you. Ah, and Moses took it personally by virtue of the fact of verse 10. Shall we 
spring forth, not God. It's, brothers and sisters, this is not about God's people and God. This is about God's people and Moses. This became really personal. For 40 years, it's between you and God, and I've been able to get, you know, a lot of fiery darts aimed at me, you know, or aimed at God that I got. I can handle that. All of a sudden, God's gone. It's now Moses and the people, right? Man on man, face to to, to, uh, face, right? And Moses is there for one. Why is he losing? He lost because it became personal. Think about that. You and I lose it when life becomes personal. When you think God's picking on you because of of a car wreck or because of, name it. That's when we begin losing it. You take it personally, right? God's doing this to me because I have, right? He took it personal. Secondly, would you notice with me, now you, 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 you just listen, Psalm 106, 33. There's a couple of passages which are commentaries on this passage in the Bible. Psalm 106, 33 is one of them. It describes this, this, this incident, and the text indicates that Moses, quote, spoke rashly with his lips. Now that phrase, spoke rashly, means he lashed out with his mouth. He blew up. Okay, he's angry. He's not thinking. He's reacting here. He's not being the, ma- the, the mediator who is, who is deliberative and understands what's going on, right? No, this is Moses reacting in the flesh, okay? He's taking the, what they've said personal. They've attacked him. They've attacked his leadership. They've attacked what he's done. And quite frankly, that's not fair, I've been leading you for 40 years. This is a desert. Open your eyes. How would I know that there was a famine or a, a, a drought? I wouldn't know that. He's taking it personal. Yes, I promised it'd be green because it's always been green for 40 years. And look what you're saying now. That's ridiculous. Put yourself in my shoes, etc., etc. Woe is me. He's gotten angry. Why? Because he's taking it personal. Well, why is he taking it personal and why is he so angry? Third reason why. And that brings us back to verse 12a. Notice with me verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you have not believed me to treat me as holy. Do you understand what this text is telling us? This is a massive window into, of insight into what's going on here. What is belief? Now, we have a theological definitions, and they're accurate. It's receiving and resting upon Christ alone for salvation, as he is freely offered to us in God. That's great. That's a great definition. It's receiving and resting upon Christ. Belief, faith, is trusting. It's relying, right? So you've heard the story of the man at the, at the uh, uh, Niagara Falls. He has a tightrope across it. He's going out there doing all kinds of flips and jumps and all kinds of you know, uh, maneuvers. And he comes back, and, and there's a crowd gathering. He says, do you believe I could carry you across the, the, the falls in this wheelbarrow? And a man says, Based on what I just saw, I believe. Yeah, I think you, you could do that. Then he says, get in. Right? If he doesn't get in, he doesn't uh, believe. Believe is resting. It's resting. It's relying. Great definition of faith. That's how we, uh, we understand faith, and that's right. But that's just a part of faith. What is faith, brothers and sisters? It's resting upon Christ. What does that mean? It's relying upon his character. It's relying upon his person, who he is, what he has said, what, what, the kind of being that he is. Faith is far more than just simply reliance. It's satisfaction. 
Do you understand that? Understand what faith is. It's more than just simply, yeah, Jesus is my uh, Savior, but I can go off and do anything that I want. No, you can't. If Jesus is your Savior, that means you are, you are, you are relying, you are delighting, you are rejoicing, you are investing your entire life upon who he is, God. Man, the righteous one, the, the, the Savior, the one who take away our sins, merciful, gracious, kind, holy, just, sovereign. You're, you, are tra- you are relying upon that. What is that? That's what we mean by satisfaction. Okay, so when Moses hears, when it says, Moses, you have not believed me. And in this context, and thus treat me as holy in, my, in your sight. You're not trusting, you're not relying, you're not satisfied anymore with me. And the fact that I'm, I'm other, I'm not like your friends, I'm not like Aaron, I'm not like your sister. My wisdom is perfect wisdom. I, you, where you are is not a mistake. I brought you here for a purpose. Can you trust me on that one? Can you delight yourself so much in who God is, what he's done, etc., that you can trust him to, to carry you even when you get cancer, even when you lose a child, even when tragedy strikes or you lose a house through, through natural... Can you trust that being? If you can, then you're satisfied in him. But when you and I are not satisfied with God... That's when trust goes away. Right? No. Why are you not satisfied with God? Because following him led me here. And that's not good. You're not trusting his character. He makes no mistakes. He's a good being. He loves you. He'll never, he'll never lead you to a place that's bad for you. All things work together for good. Right? You're no longer being satisfied with him. You are rather well, look at this. If you're not trusting God, if you're not being satisfied in God, then what are you trusting? What are you, being, what are you taking satisfaction in? And for Moses, what was it? Look at the text. Verse 4, 5, 11. What is it that Moses was being satisfied? What was satisfying Moses at this point? What, what was his problem? Brothers and sisters, he was, being, he, he was taking satisfaction from his performance. You brought us here. You're a bad leader. Are you nuts? I've been nothing but a great leader for you. And this is how you treat me? I'm going to bring water. Watch this. Watch this. Bang, bang. Water from the rock. Do you see how great of a guy that I really am? Performance, guys. What is it that led Moses to the place where he was? Brothers and sisters, he took his trust, his satisfaction from God and his character. Right? He must increase, I must decrease. It doesn't matter where he brings me. Put me in a little space if thou be glorified. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I don't care, Lord. Just be exalted in my life. He went from that to, I need a little bit of kudos here based on what I've done. And you're not doing it. And that makes me mad, you rebels. Right? So what's happened here? Moses has ceased being satisfied with God. And he's placed the basis of his satisfaction in what he's done. And thus, how people view him. Brothers and sisters, I think this is sadly a story that has worked out in our lives on a weekly basis. Is it not? 
We know, you know, when God made man, he made us with a default passion. What's that default passion? To relate to God on the basis of our uh, performance. Genesis 2, right? We want to relate to God on the basis of our uh, performance. That is, we are built that way. We are made that way on this earth. We have a default programming which relates to God on the basis of our uh, performance. Such that, brothers and sisters, we love rebuilding what Christ has destroyed. When Christ enters, our life saves us. He does away with that, with that uh, basis. We want to relate to God on the basis of our, our performance. Christ comes and says, no, relate to God on the basis of my performance. I want to relate to God on the basis of my goodness. Christ says, no, relate to him on the basis of my goodness. Because you're not good. But I'm great. You're not great. I am. So, brothers and sisters, salvation comes into us and completely uh, uh, transforms our satisfaction. Prior to that, we are, we are seeking satisfaction, but from what we do. When we come to Christ, it now is based upon what Christ has done. That's what it's supposed to be. But, but, but we don't do that. We rebuild what was once destroyed. And so, when we dive into a mud puddle of sin, whether it be a quick temper, lust, pornography, illicit relationships, lies, deceit, a combative spirit, quick tongues, pettiness, greed, anger, bitterness... We dive into those mud puddles. We, all of us have. And because we're performance-based, that never leaves us. We are always remembering, I did that. I'm a horrible person. I'm a horrible Christian. I'm a horrible person before God. And so guess what we do? We as Christians begin defining ourselves by the mud puddle we, we, we recently exited. We do. And when you and I define ourselves by the mud puddle that we recently exited, what do you do if you're performance-based? What do you do? Man, I've, I've just been doing these horrible things, and that defines me. What can I do before God? Well, performance says, start doing religious things. So what do you do? You read the Bible more. You pray more. You go to church. It might take three or four weeks before the thaw occurs, but eventually the thaw occurs, and you start feeling very good about yourself. Because what I'm doing has to outweigh what I've done, right? We start feeling really good about ourselves. This is me. God loves me because of these things. Brothers and sisters, do you understand what we are doing as Christians? Oftentimes, our religious activity, which we all say is important, reading the Bible, going to church, praying, being in small groups, being in discipleship, all that's good stuff. That can be the very means by which we are satisfying our dissatisfaction with God. When Moses struck the rock, that was a religious activity. In Exodus 17, we'd be going, whoa. Here, this is Moses being dissatisfied with God. Is your Christianity, is the religious activities you do and um, an extension of being dissatisfied with God? Are you doing those things to get God to love you? Are you doing those things because if by doing them, they make you feel good about you? Brothers and sisters, that's what this entire passage is about. That was Moses. He stopped being satisfied with God and started, started investing in his own merits. Now, brothers and sisters, what do you do about that? We're, boy, time's flown. Um, you know what? I'm going to stop there. We'll come back next week. Okay, because um, the next part, I think, is important. So um, we're going to, uh, and the reason why I'm saying this, God's given us a commentary on how he wants to apply this passage in your life.
He has. And if you want to study it this week, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4, John 7, 37 through 30. Study those two passages. Next week we'll come back and I'll do a review and we'll dive into these uh, passages. And uh, brothers and sisters, let's leave here. I hope leaving here you can recognize one boy. I'm reading a passage about Moses, but I'm really reading in a mirror because it's about me. Studying this past week, brothers and sisters, this is me. If more than anything else, you're, you're seeing a sermon about Greg Thurston's heart. I am frequently dissatisfied with God. And you know how I show it? By all the religious activity that I do. I'm doing all those things to feel good about me and about good about... Stop it. Brothers and sisters, do you understand what we have in Jesus Christ? Christ is the satisfaction. So rather than you and I leaving here this day, I hope you don't leave here going, okay, I see the problem. What's the uh, solution? The solution is, brothers and sisters, is to confess your sin before God, your, your heart's desire, how it wanders, to be satisfied in so many other things than God, and to come back and say, God, rewrite the gospel in my heart. Overwrite that, that default passion in me which wants to relate to you on the basis of my conduct. Rewrite it, overwrite it, that I would relate to you Ever and always, not based on the mud puddle I just crawled out of, but based upon the glorious person and work of Jesus Christ. May that be our righteousness, our joy, our satisfaction. Let's pray. Father God, we bow before you this day and we are so grateful for the grace that you've given us in Jesus Christ. A grace, O oh Lord, that, that 1 Corinthians and John 7 so beautifully bring out. Lord, I pray that you give us the grace as your people, knowing the gospel as we do, that, Lord, that would become our glory, our joy, our triumph, that it would be that which would determine a good day versus a bad day, our apprehension and our, our, our reliance upon it. That, Lord, we would, we would cease um, Lord, I know this is something that will not change till we die, but Lord, practically we would cease functioning according to our performance before you. But that, Lord, we would more and more, as the day draws near, be a people who relate to you on the basis of Christ's work on our behalf. Christ's goodness, Christ's mercy, Christ's kind intention, your kind intention. Lord, do a work of grace, we pray, from the youngest to the oldest that we truly would be a people who delight ourselves in the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the table of the Lord.